0: Hey everybody, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here at FCC. Welcome to our podcast. We're glad you joined us. Let's get into the word. I always wanted to write a book, but I thought, what do I have to say that hasn't already been said? And then I started to witness friends and co-workers fall and ruin organization and churches because of their arrogant pride. And I, God had given me a, a front row seat to a couple of these situations, and I thought, hmm, maybe there's some more that could be said. And I had also experienced him work on pride in my life. That's the big, that's the big probably, sin that he's had to deal with um, in me. And so a few years ago, I actually wrote a book called The Deadliest Sin. And um, this peacock, I, I love peacocks just because they're beautiful. I love the colors. And there is no greater example in nature of this idea of personal pride. In fact, we even have an idiom in English where we refer to somebody as being proud as a peacock. So, um, and I actually get a royalty check every quarter. Yeah, so. Chris. Chris. Chris, you want to touch me? No. No? Okay. So, um, so every time that royalty check comes, I, I open it with joy and eager anticipation. And I go into Sandy, my assistant's office, and I say, Sandy, sit down. And she's always sitting down. but I, So are you ready? My royalty check has come. And, you know, she's always eager and anxious. And I think the, the largest one ever was $57.36. So, you know, I'm just... I'm like inches, no, centimeters, millimeters away from the New York Times bestseller list. And that's one of the ways that the Lord... You know, he just laughs. I can see it every time. Um, And that's how he humbles me on a regular basis. So there are seven things listed in the Bible that the Lord hates. Um, And pride is at the top of the list. In Proverbs chapter 6, there's a passage and it goes like this. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. That word haughty is a word we don't use too much. It means full of yourself. It means arrogant. Eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick rushed into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Notice that the very first one has to do with personal pride. And I thought a long time about this idea of humility and how do you, how do you get humble? How do you achieve humility? I believe it is, uh, although it's not listed in the list that we call the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it shows up in other places in the New Testament. I think humility is a fruit of the Spirit. How do you get it? It seems so elusive. And finally, I decided that humility is not the absence of pride. There is always going to be some residue of pride within every single one of us, but humility is the relentless effort to subdue pride in ourselves. How bad do you want it? How willing are you to fine tune your pride radar within yourself so that you pick up on things you do to draw attention to yourself? Humility is not the absence of pride, but the relentless effort to subdue it in oneself. And here's what I've seen and learned in my extremely short life. Okay. Just wondering if you agree. And and here's why we need to talk about this. You can repent of anything any of these sins, you can give them to the Lord. You can ask Him to do His thing in you. You can repent and overcome any sin in your life unless you are prideful. And if you are prideful, there is no hope for you because you will never notice, let alone admit, any sin in your life. And that's why this topic is so important. If we are prideful, we've already lost. I believe that's why it was the first on the list of things that God hates. So there is a classic example of all the different elements of pride in the Bible. And it just happens to be King Saul, the very first king of Israel. And since we're making our journey through God's story which we're also calling our story because we find our story in God's story, right? As we're making our way through, we're at the time of the um, kings and prophets of Israel. And it's interesting to note that until there was a king, there was not a prophet. And that the office of the prophet arose when Israel wanted a king, and you just get the idea that God knew that someone with that much power was going to need a prophet in his life to keep him in check. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our story today. Um, The next message next week, I believe, Jerome, you're up right with David, and we're going to see uh, there's a prophet in David's life, too. That actually brought him back to the Lord, back to repentance. So prophets and kings kind of go together. And the prophet at this time was Samuel. He's God's prophet for Israel, and Samuel was a stud. You did not want to mess with Samuel. I guarantee it. Um, Israel wasn't satisfied with only having God for their king, which was a misplaced allegiance for them, and it cost them much as a nation. So God sort of gave in, in, in a way, and said, okay, if this is what you want, then this is what you get. And he gave them a king. And in this story, we're going to get a front row seat to see what happens when a leader lacks character and commitment to God. So this all takes place in 1 Samuel Chapter 15, and <clears throat> the Lord had decided that it was time to punish the wicked nation of the Amalekites. Now, this, is, this time of King Saul is about 400 years after the Israelites left Egypt and made their 40-year journey through the desert before they arrived in the Promised Land. And one of the nations that were not friendly to them, who attacked them and ambushed them while they were on the way, were the Amalekites. And so God said, it's time to punish this wicked people for what they did to my people when they were on their way to the promised land. And it's kind of, you, you read this story and you think, well, wow, Lord, it's been 400 years. None of the people alive now were guilty of that back then. But later in the story, um, the Amalekites are called a wicked people. And I was thinking about this and I thought, well, Lord, sounds like you gave them 400 years to get their act together. And they never did. They never did. They are still wicked, maybe even more wicked. So Saul was commanded to go and wipe out the Amalekites completely and not spare a living person, not even an animal, and not even take plunder. So that was Saul's commission. We pick up in uh, in verse 8 that after he attacked the Amalekites, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, and everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So the first thing we see is willful disobedience in Saul. He simply did not obey down to the letter what God had commanded him to do. He, he saved the king. Really? And the best of the animals. He just plain disobeyed. So then we pick up with, uh, we're just gonna read, read through this story So in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. So the thing about if you have a prophet around you, God sort of fills them in on on what's going down, and you're not going to get away with anything, okay? The word of the Lord came to Samuel, and God told him, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And Sam was angry. I'm sorry, Samuel. You've got to get my version. You know, it says Sam. Sam was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night about Saul's disobedience. So early in the morning, here's the next sin. We've got self-recognition now popping up. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument to his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So, here you go. Not only did Saul disobey, and he kept the best of the animals for himself, he and the army. He goes and erects a monument to himself. Can you imagine? I mean, there's almost nothing more arrogant than that. I don't know what it was. A statue of him, maybe a bronze bust or something. Uh, Classic self-recognition in verse 12. All right, moving along. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So here we have self-deceit. It's like he really believed that he had done what God told him to do. And he comes out and he's trying to be all pious about it and greets the prophet of God with sort of a spiritual talk type of greeting but I love Samuel's response here he said oh yeah then what is this bleating of sheep in my ears and what is this lowing of cattle that I hear right you've, you've obeyed the Lord's commands but hello I can hear the bah <laughs> over here Thought you were supposed to kill all the animals. Moo. So we move on. And here Saul transfers the blame off of himself. So Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Uh, But aren't you the king? Aren't you the general, the leader of the soldiers? They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed all the rest. Hmm. So Samuel, at this point, has had enough. In fact, he even says, Enough! And he shuts Saul down. He says, Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul, we went over this at, with my, uh, my motley crew of disciples Friday, and they go, oh, so Saul's thinking, yeah, let me know. God, wh- wh- What good thing did God tell you about me? Like he was going to get some kind of stroke. So Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes. And people, listen, here's what can happen when You go from nothing to something if you're not careful. Although once you were small in your own eyes, Saul, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Woo. And then Saul is still not willing to own his sin. And he manipulates the facts, which is his fifth pride point. He said, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Well, that's not completely destroying the Amalekites. Hello, Saul? The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to the Lord in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. So he's twisting Anybody, are you seeing, have you seen this in someone before that you know, maybe in yourself, where you're never quite willing to own your mistakes and you twist the facts to make yourself look better? That's exactly what Saul was doing here. And then we have Samuel's response, and this is a beautiful passage. It would be worth memorizing for all of us. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? That's a rhetorical question. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Listen, people, to obey is better than sacrifice, which is simply a reference to our religious performance. Whatever you think you are doing for God, make sure that obedience is in there. Otherwise, it's meaningless. It is empty religion, and God has no time for that. He wants to see your heart. He wants to know if you're willing to obey him. So now we have the excuses, disingenuous repentance. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Okay, sounds like he's moving in the right direction, right? But he can't, there's always a but coming with Saul. He says, I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Always an excuse. Always, always an excuse. It's like when someone says, sorry, I messed up, but. If you're really sorry, if you really acknowledge that you've messed up, there is no but. When are we going to be willing to grovel in our sorrow, in our humiliation, and just take what is coming to us for what we've done? That's what we have to be willing to do. God always raises up that kind of person. But until we're willing to humble ourselves and admit our failure, there is no hope. The worst thing now is Saul's attempt to save face. In verse 30, Saul replied, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me, he's talking to Samuel, so that I may worship the Lord your God. What he wanted Samuel to do is come back and help him do some sort of religious thing before the elders of Israel so that they would see him doing that and not know About his sin, so that he would still look good. He wanted to save face. People, when we've messed up, there is no saving face. It's part of the deal if you really want to repent. If you're really sorry for what you've done, you do not try to save face. You take what's coming to you. And know that when you do, God will be in that moment because He will see he will see your suffering heart, he will see your genuine repentance, and you'll be okay. He will lift you up. He can help you recover. But if we try to save face, there is no genuine repentance at all. Contrast this with Saul's replacement, and that story is in chapter 16, the next chapter. And God reveals something about what he's looking for to Samuel. He sends Samuel to Bethlehem to meet Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. I'd like to know something about Mrs. Jesse, because she was certainly a boy mom. Anyway, eight brothers. Can you imagine growing up in a household like that? So, Samuel knows that the next king is going to be one of Jesse's sons. He just doesn't know who. And so, Jesse has his eldest seven pass before Samuel, and every time God whispers in Sam's ear and says, No, he's not the one. And at one point, early on, after the first or second son, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Referring to one of Jesse's sons. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance. We do, don't we? But the Lord looks at what? At the heart. This is what he is concerned about. This is a hard subject. Unless you're prideful, and then it's all about somebody else. If you're prideful, this whole message does not apply to you. If you're eager to please God, if you're eager to be the man and the woman that God wants you to be, this message will cut you to the heart. I believe that he wants us to be able to look into the mirror and see the things about us that were in Saul. How willing are we? If God cares about you He's probably put someone in your life that helps keep you humble. Maybe several people. And usually those are people who are not impressed with you. Like my wife. (laughs) And God uses them because they love you and they are courageous. They're just willing to tell you what they think you need to hear. And the question is always, how willing are you to listen? You know, for me, almost never right at first. But then the Holy Spirit, see, see here's the thing. God puts a person in your life who's willing to tell you the truth and then guess who partners up with that person? The Holy Spirit, you don't have a chance unless you're prideful. And then you won't listen to either one of them. God forbid that we not pay attention to the people that God puts in our lives and to his spirit who is jealous of our heart. He's jealous for us. He wants us, and he does not want to share us with our prideful selves because that will be our downfall every single time. Every time. Every single time. Don't be like Saul. Lord, help us not to be like Saul. Please show us the things in us that push you aside, that keep us from being the people you want us to be. we pray this in Jesus' name and ask that you keep speaking to us about this. Amen. I wonder if God has spoken to you. What did you discover in this story? Thanks everybody for tuning in with us today. Stay tuned for more content coming soon. Have a blessed day.